Thank you for joining IEB There. And now your host, Brad Behrens. Over to you, Brad. Hi, everybody. My name is Brad Behrens. I am the Editor-in-Chief here at the Interactive Advertising Bureau. Welcome to IAB There, our daily live stream in which we connect the digital advertising industry. Today, we're uh, proud to be joined by Julie Van Ullen. She's the Managing Director of North America for Rakuten. She's here to talk with us about a study they did on direct-to-consumer brands, uh, what they learned in the study, what has changed since the study with coronavirus, what brands need to know, and we'll have a wide-ranging uh, conversation beyond the study itself. Uh, I'm going to remind everyone that you can post questions uh, to us, to Julie in particular, on Twitter. So let's bring Julie into, oh, hello, Julie. Uh, in order to post questions, please use the hashtag IABthere, all caps, one word. Once again, hashtag IAB there, all caps, one word. Our producers are monitoring Twitter and they'll share the questions with us if you have them. Julie, welcome to IAB there. Thank you, Brad. I'm so thrilled and excited to be with you guys today. Thanks for having me. Now you uh, used to work for the IAB. You, were, you worked here for a long time. Tell us what you did when you were here. Yeah, I spent a good nine years at the IAB and it was just such a tremendous piece of my career of, of learning. And the vast majority of my time there was spent uh, running the member services team, including all of the great committees and councils that define standard setting, uh, white papers, buyers guides, all that great stuff that lead the industry. Uh, and it really was a jumping off point for me because um, this is a long time ago now. And those were back in the days where we didn't even have open RTV standards or a programmatic uh, council. So we were really defining and building the age of data, data usage in uh, online advertising. And uh, yeah, couldn't, couldn't be more proud of my time there. Well, I'm so glad and, and clearly we didn't scar you too badly. So that, that's good <laughs> news. Uh, so tell us about what you do now. Now, I think I know Rakuten as an e-com platform uh, from Japan. Then you have, you're the managing director of North America for Rakuten Advertising. Like, What's your job and how do the, do the two Rakutens relate to each other? Yeah, so Rakuten in Japan is, is very similar to the way Amazon is here. They're a massive e-com giant. Uh, but probably the most recognizable consumer-facing asset of Rakuten in the Americas is uh, Rakuten, formerly known as Ebates, the cashback site. So I think that's picked up a ton of traction, especially even since the rebrand is Rakuten, as effectively an e-commerce platform where you get cash back on everything that you buy. But Rakuten advertising specifically uh, is a brand that really fundamentally exists for one core reason and one reason only, which is to help brands find their next new consumer and engage their existing loyal consumers in the most effective and efficient way. It's really as simple as that. And we really, we do that through three arms of the business. We have this massive global affiliate publisher network of which Rakuten, the cashback site is, is one of those great publishers, big part of it but it's a full funnel affiliate platform, which ranges from more upper funnel publishers like content publishers, New York Times, Condé Nast, Buzzfeed, influencer networks, all the way down funnel to those more great loyalty and coupon sites that drive customers to convert. 
So that is really the fundamental piece of our business and how we help brands find their next new consumer. But we also have a ton of O&O, inventory, Vicky streaming service, Viber, chat, a platform, Kobo's e-reader, ShopStyle, huge influencer platform, eBay's, you know, list goes on, which, which gives us proprietary inventory as well as data to really help supercharge and fuel uh, brands' effectiveness to reach those consumers. Great, thank you. That's that. That's the clearest explanation uh, I I could ask for. Um, so let's let's talk about the study that you did. It was in the field in February, and it was this really remarkable snapshot of direct uh, to consumer brands. And this is something that we have uh, a great deal of passion for here at the IB. We have the uh, Brand Disruption Summit. We have the IB two hundred and fifty. So, so this is something that's very close to us. Now, you, you were in the field in February. You got a really great snapshot of what the state of the art of B2C brands were then. And then, uh, shazam, bow, the world changed. Uh, and now uh, you're, uh, you're, you're looking at a world in, in coronavirus and a racket that advertising responded also by creating this COVID-19 resource center. So, so like, walk us through, like, what, what had you learned um, and then what's changed uh, since since the lockdown? Like, like where, where are we? What do you think the big takeaways from that study were um, that, uh, that the audience might be interested in? Yeah, so I mean, definitely let's remember that this research was pre-COVID. So it's definitely too soon to, to tell exactly. You know, we asked over a thousand consumers really about what their habits are with regard to direct to consumers. Where are the brands? Where are they finding the brands? How are they engaging with the brands? And where are they finding uh, their new brands to, to purchase from and where they expect to spend more? So we haven't redone that research since COVID, but we do have a pretty wide network to learn from and glean some interesting insights that could serve as, as some assumptions, I would say. And the first thing that I would just start out with here is that generally, people are shopping. I wanted to bring, you know, including the, the resource center, the COVID resource center that you referenced, it's really um, part of who we are to be as, as open and uh, transparent as possible in terms of what we're seeing in market to our entire uh, publisher and advertiser client base and beyond. And what I wanted to bring to you guys today is some pretty fresh off the press data that I got this morning Ooh. that shows that, um, that the week ending in 418, we saw retail up 74% year over year in e And this is sales. online online retail. E-com sales. Okay. What, what was that number again? Up how much? 74%. Wow. Okay. In the week ending 418, right? So, you know, it's really interesting because people are shopping. Uh, you know, brands are certainly encountering a, a number of issues with regard to fulfillment, and there are clearly some winners in terms of the verticals that are thriving during this time, but I think it's just really important to note that people are shopping. And what does that mean? I mean, for generally for all brands, but specifically for direct-to-consumer is that I think that this is the time where you need to think about how you stand out more than mm -hmm. ever. People are online shopping. Uh, you know, all day, uh, any time could happen uh, these days. We have no, you know, data that shows, you know, when people could be shopping during COVID quite yet. Right. So what we need to do is uh, think about how do you attract and get in front of the right consumer? 
and direct-to-consumer brands, and in a moment, we'll talk kind of about some of those, those findings in the original study, I think are really well positioned for this world because they're already used to this. Direct-to-consumer brands, the barrier to entry is low, cost to entry is relatively low. There's so many competitors out there. So for them, it's always been about how do they find, get, their, get the attention of the correct consumer to, to purchase their goods. Uh, so I think that they also have access to a ton of data, a ton of, they understand their consumers in a way that perhaps more, where more legacy brands may struggle. Hmm. So what we saw in the, uh, the initial study that we did, uh, we asked some, you know, certain demographics around their planning to increase spend, uh, over the next year. And a couple of interesting tidbits were that we found 70% of millennials and zennials believed they would increase their spend in the coming Wait, year. And hold on, zennials? Is that is that is that zennials? Yeah. Is that the new term for Gen Z? Zennials? X zennials. Oh wow. Okay. There yeah. you. Sorry. Very excited. Oh, X zennials. Okay. Sorry. Thank you. No, Keep you going. Can... Keep going. That was new nomenclature no, for me. We're yeah. staying cool and hip here. Uh, awesome. Yeah. So that's like age 25 to 44. Uh, millennials and Xennials. Um, and they believe they would increase their spend, 70% uh, of them, in beauty and personal care this year, as well as the majority of millennials felt they would increase their spend on home goods in direct-to-consumer brands uh, in the coming year. So now, somewhat unsurprisingly, if we map that to some of the sales data that we're seeing during COVID from direct-to-consumer brands, we see that in Rakuten's network, direct-to-consumer apparel brands have seen 117% growth rate over the past seven weeks. Beauty brands in our network been increasing close to 200% for the past seven weeks. And uh, direct-to-consumer housewares brands have been increasing a dramatic 2,000% uh, growth rate over the past wow. seven weeks. Uh, most of that has been in the past two and a half weeks, I would say, but um, it's just dramatic and we're seeing it across the entire network, not just in direct to consumer, it's a uh, 400% on housewares across the entire network. And that includes some very entrenched legacy brands as well, seeing that level of growth. And I think so, it's really yeah. worth pointing out that Rakuten is not uh, specializing in D2C brands, that you're, you have a, a much wider purview and point of view in your network. We just happen to be talking about the D2C study as a sort of point of departure for our conversation today. L let's, let's dig in for a moment. And the answer, I don't know, is fine. But um, you know, we're, we're obviously seeing spend shifting from brick and mortar retail to e-com because people can't leave the house. My question to you is, are you seeing people uh, trying more uh, brands? Are they varying their shift around brands? Are the D2C brands beneficiaries of this, you know, of the lockdown, or is it simply that as we're seeing all commerce move online, that they're that they're getting their fair share about what was happening before? Like, what can, is the shape of spend changing, or do you not know? I don't know where the I haven't seen the data set. Yeah, I mean, I think I think your point is right that you know I think people are certainly interested in expanding and trying new brands now, and they have been, especially in the younger generations for sure. But I think to my earlier point, it's really about competition of eyeballs. It, the brands that are succeeding are the ones who are getting in front of the right consumers. They're properly using data for proper targeting for good consumer experiences. 
Uh, we can talk a little bit later about the channel of affiliate itself and how brands work alongside publishers to incentivize them to speak about their products uh, in an authentic way that really resonates for consumers. So I don't think from what we see that there's a winner in terms of direct to consumer versus more legacy brands. It's really just about those that are being intelligent about not kind of spray and pray techniques, but rather best in class leveraging of data to communicate with the right consumer with kind of the right message that's that's the right tone and delivering the right value for that individual consumer. So let's talk about messaging or sort of brand strategies because you've got the data strategy. I think that, you know, basically what is the, Kai uh, uh, Li, the, the Chinese AI specialist says, you know, the, the best kind of data is more data, right? So the more, the more data you got. So I think that part you, you've been quite compelling about, but do you have a sense of what sorts of messaging strategies are working? Uh, is it, uh, you know, brands giving back? We, we've, people are starting like, you know, this might just be a meme that I'm in the bubble of, but you know, we're start, I'm starting to see people making fun of the kind of sad piano music, you know, we're, we, we're all in this together commercials that we're seeing on television. So many of them are the same. But what are you seeing that's working, right? What's what's working for the the, the advertisers in your network? You, in terms of messaging, what what's resonating? Yeah, that um, I love that question so much, uh, and I'm I do talk a lot about data and leveraging like the right targeting because one that's my whole background. I came from programmatic, so I love it so much. But perhaps one of the reasons why I love affiliate so much is that it kind of gives me a much needed break. From that to some degree, because one of the wonderful things about affiliate marketing is how symbiotic the advertisers and the publishers are, and how mm. truly important it is for them to create a valuable consumer message, because people aren't going to read content that isn't valuable to them. People aren't going to consume offers if it's not the right offer for them. So I really do think there's a tremendous amount of value in authenticity. And that really comes to bear for influencers as well. Like you can see time and time again, study after study, the types of influencers that, that really do well in helping brands sell, sell goods are those who align themselves to uh, on-brand uh, similar ethos brands to what they talk about and who they portray uh, online. So, and influencers are just kind of one of many touch points in the affiliate journey, but that that level of authenticity, I think, is incredibly important always, but particularly in a time when people don't want to be sold to. People are looking for what they're looking for, and it's on the brands and it's on the publishers, for that matter, to figure out what that is. Um, but I do want to take a moment to call out some incredible things that we're seeing our brands do, if that's cool. Please. Cause like, it's just so heartwarming. We've seen Udemy pull together a collection of their best content from some of their best instructors and made it free. Mm -hmm. We saw Hanes pairing with the government to make masks for healthcare workers on the front line fighting COVID. Meal Pal, which is a like a leading lunch marketplace announced a new initiative to drive $10 million in donations to restaurants impacted by the virus. Dyson, who's always really, you know, front and center sure. innovation, you know, making 10,000 ventilators. I'm sure nobody lost sight of that news. That's been all yeah. over the place. 
Rakuten Kobo, which is an e-reader, uh, our own brand amid Europe's largest coronavirus outbreak, Italian citizens in lockdown have been able to read free Mondadori e-books in a program facilitated through Kobo. And then really last but not least, Nordstrom has from the beginning been leveraging their alterations team to mm. create six, 60,000 reusable face covers for all of its employees. Oh, wow working to fulfill online orders. So, so yeah, you know, I mean, I think the, and the beautiful thing that I'll let's say finally about this is that like, they're not doing it to get sales. Uh, they're doing it because this is the right thing to do and it matters. Now, do we see data that says, you know, especially folks like Gen Z really attracted to brand ethos and altruism? Yes. Maybe this plays out in the long run really well for the brands that are that are putting their best foot forward, and I hope for that. But that's not why they're doing it. They're doing it because they are truly, yeah, altruistic. I, I, it's always easy to be cynical, but it's also okay to do things for the right reason and 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 hope that there's a, a beneficial impact uh, on yourself. And I don't I don't think that those things are in conflict. We're we've been celebrating. Uh, our partners' good efforts. We actually have a whole web page, so I'll direct our readers to it. And guys, if you can pop that onto the screen while we're talking, this is sort of the doing things for good. Let's just lean back in on the influencers for a moment, because one of the things we've heard in previous conversations uh, on IAB there is that, and also some of our research uh, in the spend pulses that we've been doing has shown that we're we're seeing that influencers are benefiting in one other way, which is that they frequently uh, already work at home and they can create content uh, pretty quickly. And the creative assets are kind of hard to come by right now um, as frequently the assets are just not appropriate because it sees, you know, they show smiling, happy people on the beach crowded together uh, in Huntington Beach in California this weekend that were very crowded and very alarming. Uh, and so are you seeing that uh, any sort of uh, increase in energy and attention going towards influencers perhaps because of that, uh, they're, they're, nimbleness and creating, uh, creating assets, or is that not part of your, your purview? No, it, it absolutely is. So not, not only are influencers part of the affiliate journey, but we as Rakuten own one of the largest affiliate networks, or sorry, influencer networks uh, in the U.S. called ShopStyle. So um, I do, I think that this is an interesting question because you're right in terms of them being positioned to react to this moment uniquely, but I think there are also a variety of types of influencer campaigns. When a brand thinks about engaging an influencer, they can do really kind of like brand level influencer type campaigns with like big names. It's really just designed for, you know, getting product awareness. Uh, and then there are influencer campaigns that are much more designed for driving performance or, you know, driving sales. And I would say we're probably seeing more of the latter right hmm. now, because I think most brands, uh, aside from the ones that are just absolutely crushing it because of the vertical that they're in, but even those who are doing really well are impacted with their in-store sales being down. So, so the cost of their paid media campaigns is something that they're watching closely. So really any affiliate mechanism that's designed for performance, and that can be influencers, it can be content, it can be loyalty, uh, it's, it's really, they're focused there. A lot of our big brands have paused all, uh, on all at one point, it's all coming back now, but paused at one point, all 
uh, paid media channels with the exception of affiliate because it's the only channel that every dollar correlates to sales. Right, it's highly uh, accountable media. 100%. Uh, let's just dig in on what you said almost as a drive-by there, which is you're seeing, it sounds like you're seeing spend return. We, we saw in our first brand side pulse and then in our sell side pulse, uh, uh, an extraordinary amount of pausing or canceling. We're starting to see digital having a rebound and I'll say to our readers, uh, our viewers out there um, that uh, the, the, the second buy side pulse is coming out this week. Sue Hogan, our, our SVP of research, will be joining me on Thursday to talk about it. But it sounds like you're seeing some of that early, like you're seeing spending, spend rebound um, that was frozen, say, a month ago. Yeah, I think we are. You know, we are seeing an uptick in spend in the affiliate channel, which I think is kind of the first place where you see it start to come back. I mean, certainly there are still plenty of brands who are who are paused or who are offering zero percent commissions to to publishers, largely because they're still having um, fulfillment issues. But those who have who have ameliorated their fulfillment issues. Um, are starting to spend again. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, we, we even have heard from a number of our large brands, you know, plans to, to restart campaigns, both in, in affiliate and, and display uh, and some other channels search as well, um, starting early May. So I think that that will certainly start coming back, but given the sheer just magnitude of the reasons why, why brands have paused, there's no kind of clear trend, if you will, because as we saw before, people are, are shopping. It's really a matter of whether or not those brands can get the products from where they're created or their fulfillment centers are, are operational. Right, and I think there's a, there's, it's important to always be cognizant that there's a difference between uh, slowing a decline and actual growth, right? We're, we're talking about a rebound as opposed to, to growth uh, based off of original plan. Um, Tell me about the resource center because you, you Rakuten spent a tremendous amount of, of effort creating the, the COVID-19 resource center. Tell me about it. And then we'll, there's a couple of questions I want to dig in on, but why'd you do it? What do you excite? What do you find most intriguing about it? Well, we did it because we really believe that we have to be as front and center with what we're learning to the entire marketplace as possible. You know, early days, we, we kind of were we were measured around when we started that center because we also are cognizant of the amount of data that we sit on and the amount of orders and sales that we see coming through. We don't want to also give the wrong intelligence that could encourage brands to do to take the wrong actions during this time. So we kind of gave ourselves a little bit of time to see some trends. Uh, and then once we felt comfortable with starting to release those, we have been publishing weekly weekly trends, weekly insights uh, from around the globe, which um, are interesting and do differ like from certain verticals to others in, in the US versus uh, APAC, for instance. But to us, you know, being transparent uh, with what we see is, is a responsibility that we have to the marketplace. So what stands out to you of the, of the things you've been putting out in, the, in the, the resource center? Anything particularly memorable? I mean, one, I mean, I guess two things. One is, is just from the beginning, how high clicks have been up. And that was one of the things we saw in the beginning. We kind of saw this increase of click activity and we said, do we want to publish this? Because we don't want people, you know, we're not sure if this is going to turn into sales yet or if this is even going to turn into orders yet. And we don't want to misguide 
uh, advertisers to be spending more money than they should because the click rate might be very different from the from the conversion rate during during this time. So, but I do think that that's been a really interesting and continued trend is how high clicks are. And now that we're starting to see this interesting data come in with regard to sales increases, uh, I think it's very clear that consumers are are still shopping and especially certain categories doing really well, unsurprisingly. You know, um, some of the other assets that we have that we get data from are from a company within Rakuten called Rakuten Intelligence, which gets its data from some third-party apps that people use on their, on their email to categorize their inboxes, their e-receipts and whatnot. But it awards us uh, insight into shopping behavior beyond just our affiliate network. And we've seen some really cool trends there uh, with regard to like Amazon's market share and some other some other things. That's where I was getting to next. You had a remarkable blog post about Amazon's market share. Walk us through that. That was that was parts of it were quite surprising. Parts of it were uh, were less so. But uh, it, you certainly have devoted a lot of effort to it. So what's the big takeaway from the Amazon market share erosion? Is that a fair account? Yeah, I think that I think that's right, you know, and I think we can only um, we can make some assumptions on why that might be. But the facts that we see coming through our data is that in January, Amazon attracted around 42 cents of every dollar in the U.S. online in U.S. online spending. And then if we look at the week of April 13th, for example, that number dropped to 34 cents of every dollar of US online spend, um, which is a pretty dramatic decrease. And you know, we, we think about what could these reasons be? Um, one, I would say like so many other brands, Amazon is grappling with the impacts of fulfillment and shipping uh, capabilities, which is why so many people turn to Amazon is the ability to have you know whatever you two want days. delivered to you in two days. Right, at, at which, the most, yeah. Right, maybe one if you live in a city, yeah. Um, so that's definitely, I think, been a big driver for sure for other retailers to be picking up some of the traffic that normally goes to Amazon. Another thing that I think uh, is that buy online and pick up in store um, has dramatically increased. And mm. I think that plays really well to online retailers who also have brick and mortar presence, like a Walmart. Although, although right now, so many retail stores are closed. So is that is that data, are you seeing that, is that from the February study or is that more recent? And there are stores that are open, particularly grocery stores. So is it that, I want to order online and then quickly drive to the store and I don't want to wait because Amazon's taken forever because they're dealing with the entire supply chain. I mean, like, is that, is the, the, is the pickup in store something that's current or is that from before? Yeah, it's been growing and it's, and we see it growing even more now. Uh, one, you could say that, you know, consumers are just kind of doubling down on new, on new shopping techniques, but I think it's much more around the fact that one, they want to get their products quicker and Walmart, Target, Home Depot, these stores are still open selling essentials uh, and they can place that order online and go pick up in store same day. Uh, and not to mention, I think people want to get out of the house. So I think that, uh, you know, buy on Bopis, buy online and pick up in store is playing really well to, to the big retailers that compete with Amazon. 
um, collectively, we we see we saw that Amazon's top 18 competitors have seen dollar market share increase from 24 to 33% uh, between the start of January and April. So there's definitely uh, some diversification of, um, of spend there. I also think it's important to, to note that you know, Amazon having invented two-day delivery, having gotten so many of us addicted to it, um, that the, the kind of the brand love uh, erodes pretty quickly when they're no longer able to fulfill that kind of key promise. And so it's, it's not surprising. Um, I guess the surprising part is the rapidity with which people have moved away from Amazon during this time. So it's, there's something interesting in there. And we'll, we'll, maybe we'll come back and we'll have you back to talk about it more as you get more data. Um, the last question I always like to ask people because we're starting to run out of time is what are you, Julie, doing to stay optimistic and connected? I, you know, I always say that the people who live alone, I think, are having the hardest time during this crisis. And so just calling them, you know, call your parents, uh, you know, that kind of thing. But, uh, but what are you as an individual doing to, to, to stay happy and keep that smile on your face? Yeah, oh, what a great question. Um, I'm always really into anything um, manual, tactical, like tangible. I like to do woodworking. I've basically been refinishing my basement. Um, so to me, uh, I think one, it kind of allows me to release any of the stress and anxiety that's really an underlying omnipresent feeling, I think for everyone during this time, because I just get in a zone. And then just having that tangible outcome is just something that in that moment you can be really proud of. So aside from the average kind of yoga, calling my mom, we have a nail date. We've been doing our nails, you see, every, uh, every Sunday night together. Uh, I've been really focused on, yeah, fun, fun things that are manual projects. Well, Julie, Julie Van Allen, thank you so much for joining us on IAB There. I really appreciate your time and I hope we'll have you back sometime. Thank you, Brad. I really appreciate it. All right, well, Let's do the credits. I, uh, tomorrow, we're going to have uh, Andrew Casale, who is the president and CEO of Index Exchange, to discuss COVID-19's current and future impact on programmatic ad buying. IAB There is the production of the Interactive Advertising Bureau. Our show today was produced by Connor Healy, Joe Ons, John Ward, Kufika Mahinadin, and Haley Bloom. I'm Brad Behrens, the editor-in-chief here at the IAB. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, if you're interested in viewing this uh, interview again later or any of our previous interviews, please visit our archive page, which you can find at iv.com slash there. Come back tomorrow because if it is 2 p.m. Eastern on the weekday, you know that it's time to IAB there. Thank you so much, everybody. Have a great rest of your day.